0: Today is BE Day. The newly queen waves from the
1: has landed. Apollo 11 We're has landed. Down the Berlin Wall.
2: Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three dimensional approach to growth cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth.
0: The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The
2: Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford capital at risk. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. I'm today joined by senior reporter Victoria Bell and today we're talking about technology and how it will impact the advice industry in the coming years. Victoria and I are joined today by Ian McKenna, founder of AdviserSoftware.com. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's
0: great to be here.
2: Uh, I'd like to start by asking you how the industry as a whole has changed in its approach to technology in recent years. We often hear from advisors that the space has been very slow to change and needs to to do a lot more. How much truth is there in this, and where do you see this going forward?
0: I think it's fair to say that we've actually come on in leaps and bounds. I mean, I set up FTRC, which is the parent company for advisorsoftware.com, back in 1995, when nobody had invented the word fintech, um, although we had it in the name. Um, And if I think back to the sort of technology that one was seeing for advisors then, um, well, maybe that's some of the reason that I've got less hair now than I used to have. Um, We've made a huge amount of progress, but... It is equally fair to recognise that other industries have moved far further forward than than we have. Um, yeah, if if you look at retail, if you look at information media, indeed, you know, so many industries have moved further forward um, with adoption of technology. But I do see that changing very significantly and i think in no small part due to the fact that the age of advisors is changing i mean you know we have seen a lot of advisors retire over the last decade whether that's due to rdr i just wanted to ask um quickly on the first
2: point um whether consumer expectations have changed in line with you know um various other industries moving forward with technology at a pace where the advice industry is slow is slow to keep up
0: well absolutely and i think this is a function of um the age of advisors and the age of people looking for financial advice um we do still have an industry that is dominated by advisors in their 60s and their 50s you know those in their 60s Frankly, there probably weren't computers in the school, never mind the classroom, when, when they were learning. Um, whereas we've got multiple generations now um, that, that can't recall life before the World Wide Web. It's really important to say the World Wide Web, not the internet, because the internet actually goes back to the mid-60s. Um, but you know we've got multiple generations who've grown up with an understanding that information is at the end of another piece of fiber optic or copper wire or what or whatever it is and you know a term used for those people generally um quite frequently in digital circles is digital natives whereas people that can remember life before the World Wide Web are broadly called digital immigrants. So um, they're having to learn. It's not something that comes to them naturally. And, yeah, absolutely, there are far more digital natives in the workplace today than there are digital immigrants. And that change is only going one way.
1: So what have you seen, what advancements have you seen sort of, I know you mentioned COVID and, you know, the younger advisors coming in. What advancements have you seen and what, what do you expect to happen, say, within the coming years in the advice industry in terms of tech?
0: Um, we've seen a major change away from the practice management system being the single In many firms, the single piece of technology, um, you know, advisors are now using a far wider range of technology than they have done historically, although I don't think that many firms have kept their technology budgets up to speed with the number of additional products that they're taking on. And I think there's an there's a huge issue for advisors to be more focused on the adoption of technology, make sure they have a clear understanding before they deploy anything, to be very clear about what they want it to deliver and what the measures are by which they will achieve and, and, and understand and identify their return on investment. Uh, because if you don't put those measures in place, uh, we were running an event yesterday, actually, where there was a lot of talk about management information is frequently the last thing that anyone thinks about in a project. Well, that's a perfect way to make sure that a project fails. If you are not clear enough up front about identifying Exactly what you want, and how you're going to measure whether something's been a success or not. At the end of the project, you won't be able to turn around to your board or your top colleagues and say, Well, we put that in and it's worked, or we put that in and it didn't work. But particularly, you know, the ability to be able to say, Right, we put that in and we can measure the difference it's made in our business. Therefore, that justifies us putting more technology in the business. I mean, ARICs, we we frequently, when in a very high percentage of cases where there's a major firm does a system move, they'll usually come to us either to help them with the process or to give a second opinion. And the first thing we always ask them is, why are you looking to change? Because we find in about two-thirds of cases actually the technology they've already got will do what they want. They just don't know how to use it. And, and I hear all the time from advisors that they only use about 20% of a particular system they pay for. Well, not being funny, but one advisor will use 120%. A different advisor uses a different 20%. There's no way the vendor's going to reduce the cost of it. So actually the best thing you can do is get a better return on investment. And this is where advisors still to this day really don't invest enough is if you're buying a piece of technology make sure your staff new, know how to use it end to end yeah and
2: and um you know you're speaking a lot there about um the inefficiencies with which advisors you know are using some of the services that they paid for um i wanted to talk a little bit about white labeling you know i'm thinking of particularly disruptors in the market like SECLA and hubwise i wanted to ask you why you think there has been this move um, for firms to white label their own platforms, and um, whether you think it's the future,
0: I think the whole white labelling question is something of a red herring. Um, the, those those platforms who have perhaps invested less in technology or let their technology get a little bit out of date um, are. Perhaps putting that up as an argument very vocally, I don't think it's about white labelling at all. Uh, I think the real issue is about, are you buying into a technology that's 5, 10, 15 years old? Or are you buying into technology that has been built recently? And if technology that's 15 years old has had a programme of continuous investment, great but an awful lot of them haven't. And, you know, if you do not continue to invest in your technology, um, it, it's going to get out of date. And when I think about providers, I mean, I can immediately think of one financial services institution, and there may be many, but I can think of one who, my understanding is they're still running on a 2007 version of Microsoft, uh, sorry, of Windows that isn't supported by Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. So that means they don't get all the security patches and and things like that. Yeah. These, all, and all of these issues really are coming front and centre now because of cybersecurity risks. Um, but, but to come back to your point of white labelling or not, as I say, I don't think it's about white labelling. I think it's about you know, having the latest technology. And the other thing is being willing to deploy the level of integration and services that advisors really want.
1: Just going to ask, is there anything, do we need to be utilising data more?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the future is data. And we need to think, an enormous amount more and and it is fair i'm beginning to see advisors thinking far more about data in their businesses indeed one of the key questions i think advisors should be asking themselves at the moment is at what point do i need to have a dedicated data person in my business and I think there is a significant opportunity. I mean, you know, one of the things is not, that is now becoming a reality um, is a growing number of AI solutions which will replace much of the role of paraplanners. Now, paraplanners do some amazing work, but frankly, they have become very expensive to employ. Uh, there's one thing that I've been asked for consistently by people in the C suite at the largest advice firms for for many years. It's effectively a robo paraplanner. planner. That technology is very much beginning to emerge.
2: That's really um, that's really interesting. Sort of um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, yeah, go on. That's really interesting. Um Ian You know you spoke about having um everyone having a sort of designated data person and i'm sure if we were getting the fca here um they they'd largely agree with you um they're at the forefront of what or trying to be at the forefront um of this new sort of data driven advice world um i wanted to ask in the context of consumer duty um which requires firms to gather a lot more data and not only that to analyze it um, whether you think firms are ready for this whether different kinds of firms are ready for this as well, product providers, IFAs, et cetera. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, this this is where I think firms need to look at how they use their existing staff and if there is a need either for retraining of existing people and helping them acquire new skill sets or to replace them with people with different skill sets. So, as I say, very much a current question for me is at what size does an advice firm need a dedicated data person? Or is there the opportunity for particularly para planners to retrain and acquire fresh skills? And the one thing I would say, you know, there are two types of para planner. You know, those that want to engage with customers or are very much an active part of the of the advice process, I think their future's fine. Those that actually really like to just be in a a back room and do all the number crunching, machines will come in and replace those people. Those people need to reskill. Um, and in order to meet uh, the FCA's consumer duty requirements, and indeed what I, I would expect, continuous data requirements from a regulator, because there there is a, a very symbiotic, symbiotic relationship between regulation and technology. You can only have, I mean, most of the regulation we have today would be impossible without technology. Um, And each time the regulator wants to increase the level of things that they want information on, that's another reason for creating and selling more technology. So there's a hugely symbiotic relationship there. Um, I think the things that advice firms need to start to consider, as I say, is... How are they going to address those ongoing and increasing data challenges, and it probably it, it's going to be a matter of either having people retrain, repurpose some of what they do. To so every power planner I that is concerned about their their future role, I I would say make sure you're the person that understands how the tech works in the business better than anyone else because then you're irreplaceable. In these conversations
2: you know, you're having with firms, are you getting much of a sense of how prepared they are
0: um, for this data gathering? There is a huge variation across the market. Uh, some firms are very focused on it. Um, others see the challenge but they're working out how they how they're going to address it
2: yeah that sounds good that sounds good and and you know um returning back to platforms for a second um you know the likes we spoke about um the sort of lack of innovation potentially um that has that has you know maybe led to white labeling maybe led to advisors going through alternative routes for the information that they need Um, the likes of Apple and Amazon have made inroads into financial services. Um, You know, you've previously previously spoken about them as platform's biggest threat, Um, you know, but as of yet, we haven't really seen this competition yet. And why do you think that hasn't happened yet?
0: Sorry, to be clear, I'm not saying that, you know, the Apples and Amazons of this world are platform's biggest Mm. threat. They are the biggest threat to the traditional financial services industry full stop. I mean, you know, if you look at at, uh, what the mummers, which is what they're collectively Mm -hmm. referred to, um, do, is they go into industries and enormously disrupt it. Look at the music industry. Look at the travel industry. You know, AI now is, is, is going to come in and hugely disrupt all forms of professional services businesses. So inevitably, those organisations, Amazon have already got a life insurance, sorry, not a life insurance, a, a car insurance, uh, personal lines comparison service running in the UK. And by the way, um, several of the mummers, but Amazon in particular, quite like trying things out in the UK before they take them to the US. They'll 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 trial things over here because obviously there are, you know, tremendous there are differences, but there are huge similarities between um our two countries. But can I just come back for a moment to talk a bit more about platforms and what I believe is a crucial question that every advisor should be asking the platforms that they're working with, mm. which is do, do those platforms see the clients that, he, that they're working with as a customer of the platform who happens to be using them as an advisor or the advisor's clients that the advisor is choosing to put on the platform? And if the answer is not the second one, you should be beginning your due diligence now to actually look at moving to platforms... Who very much recognise your role because there are certainly platforms out there who don't really want to give all the data to the advisors. Frankly, it's a defence strategy.
1: So you're talking about these tech upgrades, and there might be a bit of apprehension. You know, we know that a lot of platforms have replat have replatformed in, in recent years. It's obviously quite a difficult thing to do. Um, we saw recently. Um, so obviously, you know, maybe that will come into us that they recognize that replatforming, you know, might lose them clients or might cause advisors to be angry with them for, you know, certain hiccups. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that.
0: Organizations may have concerns about, you know, doing platform up- upgrades and, and the problems they cause. Um. I think we should recognize that some people have managed to do it better than others. To give you an example, Fidelity very quietly replatformed over an extended period of time, put a shed load of money behind it. But the one thing they didn't do was broadcast to all and sundry what they were doing and build a whole load of expectation. They just went off and quietly did it. Um, And I think you know there is a question, perhaps, and maybe it's more difficult now given the pressure that's coming. Um, But you know, perhaps people need to quietly get on with these things and stop making. Well, you do need to let
1: advisors know what's going on, don't you?
0: You you do, but I'd invite you to look back um, over, over your own coverage and. Who have you written more about having platform problems when they've re-platformed? I don't remember many stories about Fidelity having problems. They did have some problems. And there are some advisors who say, yeah, that was a bit tricky, but they kept it very low profile. Now, that, as I say, may, may be a bit more difficult now this change is is being pushed on them, frankly, If they don't allow the advisors to achieve the economies that they can properly through technology, really with straight through processing, those people are right. You know, they're they're building a path to their own extinction.
2: Thank you so much, Ian. That sounds like a fantastic note to end on. Um, Thanks so much for coming into the podcast. It's been a really fascinating discussion. You've been listening to the advice show with myself and senior reporter Victoria Bell. Today we were joined by Ian McKenna, founder of Advisorsoftware.com. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at NewModelAdvisor or email us at NMAteam at citywire.couk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: Apollo 11 has tearing down the Berlin Wall. since
2: 1929. The Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth.
0: The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The
2: Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk.